If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 27, uh, maybe through the end of the chapter. Uh, We began a series in Luke a number of weeks ago, and I had intended to go through the entire book in chronological order from the the birth narrative on. And um, God has really changed me a bit in the last couple weeks as I began working on the series. I felt him impress upon my heart to just seek him each week about what story in Luke he wanted me to teach and not so much the importance of going chapter by chapter. So bear with me. I promise we will cover the entire book. It just may not be in the order Uh, that you would like it to be in. So Luke chapter 6, verses 27 uh, through the end of the chapter. It might be good just for you to listen rather than try to follow along. This is Jesus speaking. It's in red. I, I don't want you to discount the fact that this is Jesus speaking. Most of them are commands that he's issuing and He says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. If anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those whom, uh, from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. I, I want to just read that again. Love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful. Just as your father is is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it'll be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use will be measured to you. I I want you to see the context in that. So often we use that in reference to giving financially. And I I believe it works that way. But, But in context here, we're looking at Jesus saying, forgive those who have hurt you. Uh, do, do good to those who mistreat you. Uh, uh, be, uh, love your enemies. Because the measure you give will be given back to you. And it'll be good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. Don't condemn people. 
Be good to them. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven, and it's going to be given to you, and it's going to be dumped into your lap in good measure. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No tree, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came and the torrent struck that house, it could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. <laughs> I have to tell you that I was deeply convicted as I studied this passage uh, this week. I hope that, that you hear what Jesus is saying. I heard it in a way I've never heard it before, and I hope it brings uh, transformation in my life and in yours. Uh, before we begin looking at verse 27, it's really important that I set the stage uh, on what has happened just prior to the verses that we're looking at tonight. If you keep your finger in that passage and turn back to Luke chapter 6, verses, uh, verse 12, I, I want you to see what happens. Uh, it, Jesus is about to choose his 12 disciples. And we see that Jesus was seeking his father's direction because it was an important decision and he didn't want to make a mistake and and so verse 12 says now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and he continued all night in prayer to God and when it was day he called his disciples to himself and from them he chose 12 whom he also called apostles. And so he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose 12. That means there were a whole lot more than just 12 disciples. The, a discipler means a follower. We, we talked last week in depth about the difference between being a fan and a follower. Some of us are fans of Jesus. You know a lot about him. You go to church on Sunday morning and you root him on, but you really don't follow him very well. And, and so some of you are followers, but last week we talked about the importance of not just being a follower, but being an imitator. He says, imitate me. Be imitators 
of God were commanded in, in, in Ephesians. And, and so there's a big difference between being a fan, a follower, and an imitator. And Jesus here is saying there were a lot of disciples, a lot of followers that were listening to what he had to say. And from them, he chose 12 disciples who he also called apostles. You know that the, the word apostle means one who is sent forth with orders. Do you know that you and I are sent forth with orders from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? This word of God is his, or, are his orders for us. It, this is his, his, his um, instruction manual, if you will. It, it's the orders from the King of Kings saying, this is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to behave. Verses 17, if you drop down to verses 17 through 19, it says that Jesus came down with them and he stood on a level place with the crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who, who came to hear him and be healed of all their diseases as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits. And they were all healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him, and he healed them all. I want you to picture this. Everybody was coming to Jesus with a need. Everybody wanted something from him. They had heard about him, and they were coming, seeking him out, because they wanted something from him. Uh, they wanted to touch him. They, they wanted to get close enough to him that he could heal them. They were diseased. They were infirmed people. They were sick people. They were people who were tormented by unclean spirits. They, they were demonized, and, and everybody wanted to be healed. They saw the power he operated in, and the Bible says that he healed all who came to him. Can I tell you, he's the same Jesus today. He will heal all who comes to him. But I'm just telling you, there's something different happening in this passage. Look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, and don't miss this, then he lifted. He's surrounded by this great crowd of people, everybody who was pressing in and wanted something from him, a multitude of people who had gathered around him. And the Bible says that, that he then, look at what it says, he, tur he lifted his eyes toward his disciples and said, the NASB says, and turning his gaze towards his disciples, he began to say. I, I, I don't want you to miss that. He healed everyone who was present, everybody who had come to him, but then he looked at his disciples. And, and I don't believe for a moment that he was addressing the whole crowd at this point. I, I think the whole crowd was going to hear what he had to say. But he was addressing and trying to get his disciples' attention at that point. He, he was addressing people who were committed to following him, people who, who were his disciples, who were his followers, people like you and me. And so he's addressing us tonight in his word as well. And, and look what happened. He went down with them and he stood at a level place, the scripture says. Many commentators uh, call this sermon that, that I'm, I'm preaching from tonight the Sermon on the Mount. How many of you have you ever heard that? or the Sermon on the Plain. Are you with me? If you look up that word plain, it means level. I, I, I studied this week and I found out that some commentators actually call this the Sermon on the Level. 
I had never heard that before, so I was curious about it. Dave is a, is a craftsman, and, and he's good at what he does, and, and he has a level in his toolbox. Are you familiar? And, and when he wants to make sure something is plumb or straight, what does he do? He puts his level there, and it tells him if anything is out of balance. Are you with me? Can I tell you that God has given us a plumb line in his word? This is his plumb line for our life. He says, this is how you're going to live on the straight and narrow. This is how you make sure you don't get out of balance. And I love that Jesus came down from that mountain. He chose the 12 disciples. They were surrounded with a great multitude of people, but he looked at the disciples on that level place because he what he was saying is you just saw me do all kinds of miracles you just saw me uh, do the supernatural you just saw me heal everybody that came to me but I want you to understand this can't get out of balance because you have to, to know that there is a there is a is, is a level place that I'm calling you to live at there's a standard that I'm calling you to exercise as a follower these people are coming to me because they want something from me but you have committed to be a follower you have committed to follow me to imitate me and now there's a standard and so I just want to tell you that so often I'm a charismatic praise the Lord I'm a charismatic and one of the dangers in the charismatic church is that you can get out of balance really quickly the Bible says that those who worship him will worship in spirit and in truth <laughs> That, that's why I'm so committed to preaching the word of God. Because he says you got to live in a level place, a place of balance, a place that doesn't get out of plumb. You can't be all focused on, on what I want to do for you and not understand that there is a place that I want to take you, a, 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 a standard, a plumb line that I want you to live by. People were coming seeking what Jesus could do for them. But they weren't at all interested in what he had to say. You say, well, Rhea, how, how do you know that? Because he says, look at verse 27. He says, to those, but to you who are listening, I say this. To you who, who are, are, are listening, uh, I, 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 to you who hear, some of your translations might say. I, I'm telling you, Jesus knew that there were people in that crowd who were hearing the sound of his words, but who did not receive them, who, didn't, who would, had no intention on acting upon them. The NLT says, to you who were willing to listen. It means to hear with the intent to obey the words he's about to give. Jesus knew that, that there were people there, disciples who would hear Jesus' words, but not hear. That they would hear Jesus' words with no intent to obey. He was going to give them and us a hard word. And we don't like to hear that kind of hard word. A hard word. We can be selective in what we hear, what we obey. Here's the sad thing. We can come to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We can never miss Bible study. We can hear Jesus' words, but never have any intent on obeying them. And Jesus, what was, he had turned his gaze to his disciples, not to the crowd around them, because he wanted them to know this was a word directed to them, to their spirit. Can I tell you, he's directing his word to you tonight. And you have to decide, are you going to hear? Or are you going to be one of those people who Jesus just said is sitting in the crowd, but really had no intent to obey? 
He turned his gaze to his disciples, wanting to get their attention. And he was going to talk to them about a kingdom, the kingdom of God, a kingdom that was radically different than anything that they were experiencing in the natural. A radically reversed, upside-down world, Michael Card says, that Jesus had come to reveal to them. He would command them to react and respond in ways that were radically opposite of what their flesh would desire. He starts after he came down from that plane and after he'd healed those people. And and look at verses 20 through 26. He speaks four blessings and four woes. This is part of uh, of the Sermon on the Mount that most of us know. And Kenneth Riken blessed me in his commentary when he says these verses, according to Jesus, there are two kinds of people. People who are willing to suffer for his sake and have his blessing and people who live for themselves and will come to an unhappy end. In this passage, Jesus talks about four blessings and four woes. The first four are blessings for people who would follow him and suffer because they live the way he tells them to live, but in their suffering know his blessing. The four woes that that follow are against self-satisfied people who live for the pleasures of the moment and live like they don't need God. In one fell swoop, Jesus is dividing his audience. He's saying, to those of you who listen, there'll be blessing to those who, you, who don't and who insist on living your own way. There are woes. Let's look at the woes together. Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. The rich, Jesus was referring to, were people who seek their life and happiness from material things. Uh, from a hedonistic way of life. And he says, woe to you who are well-fed now, for you will go hungry. The the New King James says, woe to you who are full. The full are those who are satisfied. It's the opposite of being hungry. And these are the people who have no appetite for God. They are satisfied spiritually. They don't have any need for God. They're they're too busy for God. Life is too, I I got where I got by my own uh, work, hard work and effort. I don't need God. Blessed, woe to those who, who laugh now for you will mourn and weep. This is someone who's superficial. Someone who's just looking for pleasure in life. Riken says it's people who never get serious about Jesus. And if someone does speak to them about Jesus, they laugh it off or mock God, scorning his word and ridiculing his followers. (laughs) I have people all the time that'll say she is a strong cup of coffee. She she is a little weird. She preaches, she preaches, she's she's just way out there. Woe to you who laugh now, who mock and who ridicule. That's Jesus's words. And then he says, uh, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that's how their ancestors treated the false prophets. I'm just telling you, these are the people who are people pleasers, who are so concerned about what people think of them, and I can't tell them about Jesus, and I can't live for Jesus out loud, because what are they going to say? They might reject me. Woe to you, Jesus says. People who are trying desperately to please everyone and earn their love and respect, not wanting to ruffle any feathers. Jesus 
lifts up his eyes to his disciples and he speaks to them and he calls them apostles, one sent forth with orders. And I just want to tell you that we are called to be different. We're not called to be people pleasers. We're not called to fit in. We are called to be followers of Christ, imitators of Christ. He says, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I tell you to do? Romans 8, 29 says, for those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. Do you know that you and I are called to be conformed into the image of Jesus, to look like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to respond like Jesus? Jesus doesn't want us just to study his word and memorize his word, be able to quote his word. He doesn't want us just to go to church. He wants us to take the things that we're hearing and we're learning and apply them to our life and become more like him, become conformed to his image. I don't know about you, but I know some unbelievers who are actually kinder than some Christians. I know some unbelievers who act better than some Christians. I think it was Frederick Nitschke, Nitschke that said, uh, I might believe in the Redeemer if his followers looked a little bit more redeemed. <laughs> Gandhi says, I like your Christ, I just don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Jesus is calling his disciples. He's looking at them, trying to get their attention so that he doesn't, they don't miss what he's about to say because he's about to call them to a, to a higher plane. He's about to call them to, to start looking more like him and acting more like him. I don't like it. I just want to tell you, I studied it this week. I don't like what he's calling us to do. Every bit of flesh in me rises up against it. I want to be, I want to find the, 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 um, the, the loophole. I want to I just say, yes, but Lord, what about this situation? But he doesn't, it's not up for negotiation when, when, when Jesus is involved. Look at what he says in verse 27. He says, but I say to you who hear, it's a hard word. You may not want to hear it. You might want to reject it. Remember in Hebrews 3.15, we talked about this. It says, today, if you hear his voice and don't harden your hearts, as Israel did in the rebellion. That tells me that it's possible to hear him speak and then just harden our heart and say, I I'm not going to do it. And Jesus is cautioning against that here. He's saying to those of you who will hear, I say this, love your enemies. Do good to those, look at it, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, love, do, bless, and pray. All four imperatives, commands uh, from Jesus. They're in the present tense. It means I want you to make this your habit, your ongoing continual lifestyle to bless your enemies, to do good to those who hate you, to bless those who, per who curse you, to pray for those who mistreat you. I want this to be your habit. Jesus told us that good will always overcome evil and that the greatest thing we can do is love. And he's going to demonstrate it here. He's going to command it again. He says, love your enemies. You've heard me teach on this a million times. That word love is agape. And agape is a self-sacrificial, unconditional, looking for nothing in return kind of love. You say, well, Rhea, how do you want me to love somebody who just mistreats me? Because it's self-sacrificial, unconditional, 
looking for nothing in return kind of love. It's a, a love that will sacrifice itself for the, the, the better, the betterment of the other person. Agape love is unconcerned with the self. It's concerned with the greater good of the other. It isn't born out of emotion or feeling. It means I don't feel like loving you. Tough. It's not based on feeling. It's not based on emotion. It's a decision, an act of the will. It's a commitment. It, it's a love that denotes preference over someone, over your own wants and needs. It's a love that impels one to sacrifice oneself for the benefit of the object loved. Agape love is a love that's always giving. It denotes total commitment to seek the other's highest, best, no matter how that person might respond. Agape love is God's love in us. And, and it's a love that doesn't come naturally. When he says, love your enemies, it's almost offensive to me because I want to say, do you know what they did to me, Lord? Yes, he does. He's the God who knows. He's the God who sees. And, and he's saying, Rhea, I don't want you to look for the loophole. I don't want you to excuse this. I want you to understand that my ways are the way to life. His pleasant path leads to pleasant places. And when he tells us to do something, it's always for our benefit. So if you're telling me to love that person who hurt me so deeply, it must be for my benefit. But it goes against every ounce of my flesh. My flesh rises up against it and says there has to be another way. In fact, Jesus, it's a, it's a little offensive to me. Scripture says this is love that has been poured out into our heart through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We can love like that because his Holy Spirit has been given to us and it will pour out through us when we make the decision, the act of our will to love that person who's hard to love. 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. I really like God's love when it comes to me. I like that while I was yet still a sinner, he died for me because he loved me. I, I, I love that, don't you? I wasn't even sorry <laughs> for what I had done. In fact, I, I, was, I, I, I really probably hated God because I didn't know him and, and I was acting against him. Are, are you with me? And everything I did was hurtful to him. And yet while I was still a sinner, I wasn't even sorry. He died for me. Love died for me. And he's calling me to that same level of love. He's saying, I don't know what that, I know that you, you want to tell me what they did to you, Rhea. I know you want to use that as an excuse, but while you were yet still a sinner, I died for you. Love died for you. So can you die to, to having to be right? Can you die to having to have the final word? Can you die to revenge? Can you die to, to getting that person back for what they did to you, Rhea? And can you for their good love? Can you love? Because love overcomes a multitude of wrongdoing. Love overcomes evil. Good overcomes evil. And I can't tell you, uh, except that you just have to experience that when you choose to love somebody who's done you dirty, I promise you, when you yield to that power within you to do it, even though you want to smack them silly and spit nails at them, if you just yield, if you say, God, you told me to do this, and so by an act of my will, I will choose to love that person, I'm just telling you, 
When, when God says that love overcomes a multitude of wrongdoing, I think he means it overcomes in us. Because when I choose to love my enemy, when I choose to yield to God's love in me, because I don't have the ability to love that person, it has to come through me just yielding to the Holy Spirit within me. When I do that, I promise you, there's an overcoming power that I can't even explain. What that person did to me loses power. It doesn't even affect me like it does when I hang on to it. He says, love your enemies. I want you to notice that he repeats that command a second time in verse 35. And he says, and your reward will be great. I'm telling you, that is the reward when we love our enemies. Bitterness goes. Depression gets lifted. Despair disintegrates from your life. Bitterness, oh, bitterness comes from wrong held on to. I promise you it does. That just dissipates when we choose to love the way God has called us to love. But notice what he says after that, and you will be children of the highest because he was kind to the grateful and the ungrateful and the wicked. Michael Card says, love of enemies is the defining condition of sons and daughters of the Most High. If we want to act like, be like God, Jesus says we must love our enemies. We are called sons. Sons get the inheritance, and I'm telling you, there is an inheritance when I act like a son. Sons will manifest. Uh, my, my son uh, looks like his daddy, I promise you. And, and, and there's something about when I look like my daddy, when I manifest what my daddy, the character of my daddy, there, there's something that happens in me. There's an inheritance that takes place in my life. I, I inherit peace. I inherit joy that's unspeakable. That stuff comes to me when I choose to do that. He says, do good to those who hate you. That, that word, uh, do good, it, it's, it, that phrase is a present imperative. Again, it's a command from Jesus. And it means, it's in the present tense, it means to let it be your ongoing habitual um, pattern that you're doing good to those who hate you. Notice again, it's an act of, uh, of the Lord's, the, the work of the Holy Spirit within us. We have to submit to the Holy Spirit because in the natural, we do not have the power to do that. That word good is an emphasis on what is beautiful, handsome, excellent, precious, commendable, and admirable. Mattoon says it means we treat them excellently, honorably, and in such a way that they cannot blame us for doing wrong. You say, Rhea, <laughs> you want me to do good to somebody who hates me. Yes, because good overcomes evil. He says, bless those who curse you. That word bless means to speak well of. It's where we get our word eulogy. It's what we do to the dead. We speak well of them. We eulogize them. It means to celebrate with praises, to invoke blessing upon a person. Uh, it, again, it's in the present imperative. It's a command, a command that calls, calls for it to be our habitual practice, that I'm going to bless everybody that curses me, and it's going to be my habit. I'm going to bless and not curse. I'm going to speak well of. You say, well, Rhea, that, that's a little impossible to do because they're wishing evil upon me. And, and, and it, 
how do you want me, somebody that, that, that's that evil, how do you want me to speak well of them? It would be a lie if I spoke well of them. What he's saying is, bless and don't curse. Don't wish evil upon them. Pray for them, he says. Pray for, for them to get a revelation of who God is. Pray for them to, have, to be convicted in their spirit. Pray for them, to, to, for their, their wounded heart that's causing them to do that kind of thing, to be healed. But bless them. Speak well of them. Our, our definition of bless is skewed. It doesn't mean that we are saying, Lord, would you just bless them with all good things? It's saying, Lord, would you bless them with revelation? Would you bless them to understand the love of God? Would you bless them with healing? Would you bless them so that they would come to know you? Would you bless them that they would cherish God's word in their heart? Would you bless them that the enemy, that the lies of the enemy would be exposed in their life? Wayne Barber says, Romans 8 is the only way that we can do this because it says that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called together according to his purposes. Because God is causing all things, even those people who bring us grief to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, he says, you see, you've got to have the first 11 chapters of Romans to even begin to understand chapters 12 through 16. Everything in chapters 12 through 16 hinges on what, we've, what we know uh, uh, that God is in charge, that he's working all things together in your life, even persecution, to, because that drives us to the end of ourselves. Because Romans 8.29 says that we will be conformed into the image of Christ. So pain and all the things that we go through in this workshop of life, in this school of life, down here on earth are tools that God uses to help chip off and hone us and make us into the image of, of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about, him conforming us in, into his image. Paul, Paul says, I've learned, therefore, to be content in whatever situation I find myself in because I've learned that this is God's will for me in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you that no matter what situation you are in, no matter how a person is treating you or mistreating you, I'm just going to tell you, can you learn to be content knowing that it's God's will for you in Christ Jesus? It wasn't his will for them to mistreat you or abuse you, but where you are right there, he wants you to learn to rely on and lean on him to be everything you need him to be. You see, that's what gets us in trouble. That's why we hate this passage. We hate that Jesus says, pray, uh, love your enemies, pray for those who curse you, bless them, bless them, bless them. We hate that because here's what happens. Our expectations are wrong. We put our expectations in a person and, and we say, I need you to meet my needs and, and everything is peachy keen, honky dory. Instead of putting our expectations on the Lord, the one who will never fail you, though the one who wants to meet every need that you have according to his riches and glory, 
Instead of putting our expectations in him, we put them in a person. And we expect, and everything is good as long as they're peachy keen honky-dory, as long as they meet our expectations. But the second they disappoint us, the second they hurt us, the second they betray us, then we're depressed and sad and life is, is terrible and woe is me and, and I hate them and I don't like them and I'm angry and, and I'm bitter. And it's because of failed expectations. And you say, well, Rhea, how can you expect me to forgive someone? Because you should never have expected anything out of them to begin with. Our expectations should be in the Lord and the Lord alone. The Lord has been speaking to me in this passage because someone hurt me deeply. Deeply. You've heard me re reference this for years, that someone hurt me deeply, more deeply than anyone has ever hurt me in my entire life. And it's because I had my expectation in that person. I expected something of them. I thought they should behave a certain way. They should act a certain way. I, I really thought they should meet my needs and, and they should love me a certain way. And when they failed, I got to a pit. I went into the pit and I was angry and I was bitter and I made sure that person knew how they had failed me over and over and over and over and over again. And I would spew and I was miserable. And the Lord said, you will bless your enemy. You will love them, Rhea. You will pray for them. And as long as I did that, I had life. I had joy. I had peace. And then the enemy would come and whisper, but Rhea, remember what they did? And I'd be like, yeah, I do. That was pretty awful. And they're my enemy. And God, certainly you understand because I have a right to be angry. I have a right to be mad. No, God says, you have a right to love me and obey me. You laid your rights down when you came to Christ. And you can listen I'm saying this to those who hear, Rhea. <laughs> and I'm telling those who listen to bless their enemies. Here's the shortcut to life, Rhea. Bless your enemy. Pray for the person that hurts you. Do good to those who hate you. Rhea, I'm telling you, this is the way to life. But Lord, no buts, Rhea. Do you want life? Because my ways are the way to life. I, I'm telling you to those who will listen. Some of you are sitting here tonight and you are miserable. You are full of bitterness and hate and anger and rage. You're not fun to be around. Your friends don't even like to be around you because all you do is grumble and complain and you rehearse the same thing over and over again. Do you know what happened to me and how messed up I got in life and how I was so done dirty? And it's because he spoke, but he didn't listen. He said, love your enemies. Do good 
to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. It's very hard. God has created our mind that we can't think on two things at once. And so for those of you who, who meditate on what your enemy did to you or what that person who was nasty at work said about you, if you just start praying for that person, your mind can't think about what they did to you when you're praying for the blessing to God to be upon them. He said, expecting nothing in return in verse 35. I, I, I really like that. It means not despairing at all. It means without despairing. It means to cease, to give up hope, to stop looking for them to be sorry enough, to stop, uh, treating, to, to stop waiting for them to treat you the way you want to be treated, for, to stop desiring for them to desire you the way you think you should be desired. Give up hope on that <laughs> and stop expecting anything in return and love your enemies. This phrase indicates the reward should be expected from God. And I promise you that when we do things God's way, there is great reward that comes. We have to settle this in our mind. I want to show you one more thing before we, we stop for the night. This was just so important. I, I, I saw this this week, and it just rocked my world. And, Lord, I hope I can just teach it the way you showed it to me. I, I just want you to know that the enemy, he, he, he wants to mar anything in your life that, that would resemble God. He wants to discredit your witness so that you can become a hypocrite. Jesus says in this passage that, that when we act like the world, we, we're hypocrites. And the enemy wants to do that. He wants to lure us away from a place of obedience, from a place of peace. And he wants us to do what he wants us to do instead of what God wants us to do so he can discredit our witness. His whole purpose is to mar the likeness of Christ in our life. Do you understand that? Because we were created before time to those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Do, do you understand that? that? That we are predestined that, to be conformed into the image of Christ, to look like him, to act like him. The whole purpose all on this earth is the dress rehearsal so that we can, we can learn what it means to, to walk like Christ, to look like Christ. And the enemy can't stand that. And so everything he designs in our life is aimed to mar that image. Be angry, be bitter, be nasty, be unkind, gossip. All of that is a tool of the enemy to mar the image of Christ in you. Do, do you understand that? Are, are, we, are we in agreement there? So turn here to Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Because I want you to understand that Jesus is telling us all of this to love our enemies, to do good to those who hate us, to bless those who curse us. He's doing it to disarm the enemy in our life. Because who knows, when you curse those who curse you, when you hate those who hate you, when you're an enemy to those who, who think you're an enemy, who treat you like an enemy, you empower the enemy in your life. Everything that Jesus is telling us to do here is aimed at disarming the enemy and his tactics in our life. So Ephesians 6, 10 through 13, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I told you we can't do any of this in our own strength. It's all in the power of the Holy Spirit. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand firm then. So he's telling us that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and evil forces. So, so your enemy is, is not your battle. It's not against flesh and blood. All that enemy did was allow the enemy to use him to get to you. And so that's why you can love your enemy because they were just a tool for, for the enemy of your soul to, to come at you and gain entrance into your life. Do you see that? Flip over to 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So we have to take every thought captive. When the enemy comes and tries to entice us away, we need to mind what we're thinking on and we need to think the thoughts of Christ. We need to say, God, what do you want me to do here? How do you want me to respond? Now this is what I want. This is what rocked my world. And, and Father, I just thank you that nothing can hinder this word from going forth. It's going to go forth and prosper in the hearts and the minds of everyone here. Uh, I come against the enemy and any scheme that he has to tie up this word and to keep it from prospering in the name of Jesus. And I just release the power of God in this place in Jesus' name. Uh, Corinthians 2, 13 through 15. This is what rocked my world. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out, look at this, the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, when he had disarmed the rulers and the authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. I, I, I can't even tell you, Lord, help me to explain this, but you, you, you know the Ten Commandments were written by the finger of God. Remember, uh, on tablets of stone, they were written by the finger of God. And that was the law. And the law is what condemned you and I before God. And uh, the law demanded flawless perfection from a flawed man. And, and so the same law that condemns every member of the human race, <laughs> every one of us is condemned because of that law. Do you understand it? The handwriting that was written on that tablet of stone condemned every one of us because every one of us is flawed. Are you with me? And on the cross of Calvary, Jesus wiped out Look at that passage. He canceled out the certificate of debt, the handwriting. What one of the translations says, I think the New King James says, having forgiven all the trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. Do you see it? And in doing so, he disarmed the principalities and, made, and the rulers and authorities and made a public spectacle of them. Are you following me? Everybody with me? So we are flawed beings we mess up, we sin against God. God made a way through Jesus Christ to come pay for the pay for 
the punishment that we deserve on the cross of Calvary, what were the last words he spoke? Tetelestai, it is finished, reascendet is paid in full. I have forgiveness of sins because he wiped out the handwriting against me, the certificate of debt against me. And in doing that, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and the principalities and made a public spectacle of them. Lord, help me. Because some of you are sitting here tonight and you have a handwriting. The, the word there is an IOU. You and I, some of us, have made, a, have made an IOU. This person owes me. And we take a certificate of debt. Incidentally, that the commentators I read said that certificate of debt was written in the handwriting of the person who owed the debt. So if I owed Leslie a debt, I would write it. Leslie, I owe you, and this is the, the uh, payments that I will make to you. And this is my agreement. Here it is. Here's a certificate of debt. I owe you. And she would use that then to say, hey, Hey, girl, hey, you owe me. I'm collecting on that debt. Make a payment. And if I didn't make the payment, what could she do? Throw me in jail. You're not following me, because if you were following me, this is life-changing, because that's what we do. We take out a certificate of debt against somebody, and we say, you owe me, and I'm exacting payment. And that person knows they owe you. You made it clear to them a zillion times in your behavior. And you like to waive that certificate of debt and say, hey, you owe me, and I'm exacting payment with my silent treatment. I'm exacting payment with my anger. I'm exacting payment with the distance that I put between us. I'm exacting payment because you owe me. Meanwhile, the principalities and the evil forces and the rulers in the darkness have all kinds of power in our life. They're bringing anger, they're bringing rage, they're bringing bitterness and unforgiveness, they're bringing depression and despair and hopelessness, and you have played right into the hand of the enemy. And as long as you're holding on to that certificate of debt, <laughs> they have power. I don't know about you. I got a hold of this this week, and I made up my mind. He is not having any power in my life, in my home, in my relationships. No way. No, no, no. And so I am wiping out the handwriting. I'm wiping out the certificate of debt. The IOU is being shredded up, and, and I'm going to disarm, because look at what happens. I'm disarming the rulers and the authorities and the principalities, and I am going to make a public spectacle out of them, because I don't know about you, but I am leaving this place loving my enemies. And I'm going to forgive those who hurt me. I'm going to do good to those who mistreat me. I am going to bless, 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 bless those who curse me. Because I got a hold of this. And I am telling you that if Jesus said this, this works. This works. Do you know he, the word says having canceled the certificate of debt. Do you know what the word forgive means? It means to cancel to cancel a debt. And when we forgive, we cancel, then we release that note of indebtedness. 
Jesus says, be merciful. Because blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I just want you to not miss one, one, one other little thing here. Let me just find it. Turn over to James 2.13. Judgment without mercy will be shown to those who judge without mercy. That means if someone has done me dirty and I choose to hold a judgment and I, and I parade them into the courtroom of heaven and say, God, do you know what they did? And I, I want them to pay. Judgment without mercy will be shown to those who judge without mercy. Do you know that there's a scripture that says, unless you forgive your brother, your father in heaven cannot forgive you. Because what we're doing is it's, it's the parable of the unmerciful servant. We have had this massive sin debt forgiven against us. Do you know that just what I've done to God today is far worse than, than what my enemy does to me? And yet God so freely forgives me. And we've had this massive sin debt forgiven uh, against us. And, and it's forgiven, it's canceled, it's erased, it's wiped clean. And the parable of the unmerciful servant is the servant who was forgiven a massive debt that was too big for him to pay then goes out and finds somebody who owes him just a couple bucks. And he chokes him and he throws him in prison until he's able to pay. And some of you, are, are, you have somebody in prison in your life. You, you've imprisoned them. You want them to pay dearly for what they've done. And the Bible says that unless you forgive your brother, your father in heaven can't forgive you. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? The NLT says, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Jesus finishes this and says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I'll show you whom he's like. And that's where he, he tells the story of a wise man who built his, who built his house upon the rock. He says, when you hear what I say and do it and act on my words, apply them to your life and live them out, your house is solid. It is a solid foundation. It will withstand any storm that comes. But when you hear what I say and you don't do it, you're like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the wind comes, when the waves come, it's going to be destroyed. I want you to see who a disciple is here. It's someone who follows Jesus, who hears Jesus, and who obeys Jesus. He says, to you who are listening, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. I think sometimes we use people to excuse us from obeying Jesus. We use, um, they failed my expectations, therefore I have a right to be angry and I have a right to disobey you. And we use this as an excuse not to obey Jesus. The Bible says that everything we need for life and godliness is in us. He has given us the power 
of his Holy Spirit and, and, and the ability, the empowerment to obey his word. And his words are life. His words bring life. And when we obey and follow his word, life comes. It comes. And so if we're sitting here tonight and, and we're not experiencing his abundant life, the life that he died for us to have, we need to examine ourselves and we need to say, Lord, is there an area of disobedience in my life? Because Jesus says, I, I'm, my words will bring life, but you have to listen. And that word listen means to hear and then to obey. How many times do we sit under his word, we hear it, but we don't apply it to our life and obey it? My challenge to you this week is to love your enemies well. Love them unconditionally. Treat them well. Do good to them. Pray for those who curse you. Bless and not curse them. Speak well of them. Speak well of them. Don't go out and talk to somebody and just say, well, let me just tell you what they did to me. And I'm only going to tell you. I won't tell anybody else. But, I, you know, I need to get this off my chest. No, he says, speak well of them all the time. Speak well of them because that's the way to life. This is what a follower does. This is what a disciple does. This is what somebody who imitates God does. They love their enemies. They do good to those who hate them. They pray for those who mistreat them. And they bless those who curse them. So, Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that it's powerful, it's, it's living, it's active, and it doesn't ever return void in our life. And I pray, Lord, for the people sitting here tonight that they would have ears to hear they would take the word that they heard tonight and that they would be doers of the word and not just hearers. They would apply it to their life, that they would walk it out this week, not in their own strength, Lord, but through the power of your Holy Spirit. Enable and empower all of us, Lord, to do it. Lord, we don't just want to be fans. We don't just want to be followers. We want to be imitators. Equip and empower us to do that this week, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.